So, Father, that is our prayer. We ask that you would change me as only you can. We come here with our heart in your hands, and we pray, would you please make, me, make us more like Jesus? Because there's a world who is dying to know who you are, and you've shown us the way to your heart, and we pray that you would just make us more like you. And if that means less of me, take everything, because you're all I need, so we want you to take it all. And we pray in your name, amen. All right, for this morning, only do you guys mind if I just stay here? Is that okay? Can everybody see me okay? A um, couple of things. Jason Hubner, I don't know if Jason's around in the house, but thanks last week for doing that. That was really powerful. I took a lot of notes, so that was great. Thank you for doing that. Also, we've got in the house, Coltrane's are back from the Philippines. And up here we've got, I don't know who this, who's this scraggly-looking guy, the, we've got the Bradburns up front who are here with us this morning. Good to have you guys. So if we want to be, if that's our goal is we want to become more like Jesus, if we want to be formed and transformed more into His image, um, yeah, ignore that for a little while, is that Okay. Uh, Colossians 2.3 says this, that Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. And so becoming more like Him, part of that entails us becoming more and more wise. And the wiser we come, the more we can become like Him. And so that's what we're going to do this summer. We're going to have a series. We're going to go through the book of Proverbs to learn about God's wisdom. Um, you know, we live in what's called the information age since 1955. Knowledge has doubled every five years. Library shelves sag under the weight of new books. Actually, libraries are getting rid of books now. Uh, old data storage systems are just constantly outdated and replaced by new systems with larger capacity. Our generation, my generation alone, possesses more data about the world in which we live than every generation put together before it. And with smartphones at our beck and call, we have internet access, access to any information. Just Friday, I was talking with some people, and the, the idiom came up, feeling one's oats, and somebody had never heard that, and we're like, now where'd that come from when we looked it up? I mean, just instantaneously, we can get any information. But I think we would all agree that as information has gone up, the world hasn't gotten better, right? Wouldn't you say the world is a bigger mess probably than ever before? And though we have a lot of knowledge, the thing I think we lack in our modern world is wisdom, and we need a corrective, and that's what the book of Proverbs is. So before I talk about the book of Proverbs, let me say a few things about how to approach this book and the individual Proverbs that are in it. Um, the name is pretty self-explanatory. If it's the book of Proverbs, it's probably full of Proverbs, right? Proverb is a short, pithy, memorable statement of moral truth that's meant to impart understanding and practical life skill. You'll find Proverbs in every culture, every age, and for good reason, because they have been proven to be unsurpassed in imparting moral behavior and wisdom. 
So can I demonstrate why Proverbs are so significant? We have this, there are certain corrective measures for minor problems that when taken early on in a course of action forced all major problems from arising. Go home and teach that to your children today. Or we could just say this, a stitch in time saves nine. Now which is more memorable, which is easier to carry with you, which has the greater impact? Yeah, the proverb does, right? Um, maybe I should start doing all my sermons in Proverbs, what do you think? Can I hear some applause for that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, though they are simple, they're profound and usually have a lot of deep truth. Um, it's their brevity and simplicity that makes them easily like memorable. They penetrate into the heart. And they're not designed so much to examine life, but more to be carried around in your mind and in your heart to be memorized, to return to over and over again. And something I need to say about Proverbs, that when you approach a proverb, there's something very important to keep in mind. They present a very cut-and-dried cut view of life. They take a very simple cause-and-effect view of life. Here's the moral logic of, a pro, of the Proverbs, that if you live in wisdom and fear of the Lord, if you have wisdom and fear of the Lord, you will live in virtue and integrity, and then that will follow with success and peace. But if you live in folly and the rejection of God, that leads to evil immorality and eventually shame and ruin. It's very black and white, very cut and dried. In all reality, life is much more complex than Proverbs, um, than what they convey. That doesn't mean they're not true because there is great truth. But we just need to realize when you're reading Proverbs that you're not reading ironclad promises. They're simply saying that in general, if you pursue this course of action then this outcome will follow. There are always exceptions to Proverbs, but they are the general rule. Can I illustrate with three types of statements you find in the Bible? You find laws, which are commands that are to always be observed. You find promises, which are guaranteed, guarantees from God that will always come true. And then there are Proverbs, which are catchy observations about the way things generally are. And I'm going to do some examples and see how good you guys are at this. So this first one, Romans 8, 39. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is that? Promise. Very good. Um, a something to which there is no exception. How about this one? Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. What's that? Yeah, that's a law. That is a command. Again, there are to be no exceptions to that. But how about this one? Proverbs 10, 14, lazy hands make a man poor. This one's really hard, I know, <laughs> really hard. Anybody want to take a shot? <laughs> it's a proverb, right? Okay, that's a proverb. Are there exceptions to this? Well, of course there are. Has some lazy dude ever won the lottery? I'm sure a lazy dude's won the lottery. But for most part, if you're lazy and don't do work, you're, it will lead you into poverty. That's just uh, generally true. So, these are never guarantees, they're just general principles, um, and that's really important to remember, because if you think you're going to get a, an outcome every time, you'll be disappointed. I think the most abused of all biblical proverbs in this regard is Proverbs 22.6, which says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. This is not a promise, okay? It's not a promise, it's not a guarantee. It is a general statement that is true most of the time, but not all of the time. It's not a carte blanche promise that your kids are going to turn out and follow everything that you 
train them to do. So, just remember their general rules. They're not the exceptions that sometime life doesn't work the way we think it should. And that's why in the Bible there's actually three wisdom books, not just Proverbs, but Ecclesiastes and Job. And Ecclesiastes and Job give us the exceptions in life. Proverbs gives us the general rule. And to understand all of life under God, you really need to, to know all three books to read all three books. So all three are really important, but we're just doing Proverbs this summer. So as, this, as it says, it's a book of Proverbs, so it's a collection of sayings. I've made a diagram for you that I'm ch I've challenged everybody to read through the book of Proverbs this summer. If you weren't here last week or didn't get one of these, they are in the back. The what is our information booth or whatever that thing's a welcome center, I always call it the wrong thing. It usually has a sign but doesn't today. But just back there are some of these you can take home to work through the Proverbs. Um, they were written by King Solomon, who was the son of David, one of those most prominent kings of Israel. If you know his story in 1 Kings 3, when he became king, God said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. And we're told in 1 Kings 4 that he had the greatest wisdom of the time, wrote thousands of Proverbs because of his wisdom. The book is divided in, it's got a prologue, which is chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, which is kind of the introduction to the whole book. Then chapter 1, verse 8 to 918 is an introduction on wisdom and folly. You have ten speeches of a son, father to his son, and you have four poems, either by or about Lady Wisdom. And that all sets up then the main part of the book was chapter 10 to chapter 29. And in chapter 10 to 29, you just find hundreds of individual Proverbs that have no arrangement, outline, no order, progression. They just, they just appear to be appearing randomly on random topics. But if you think about it, that's how life works, right? Things just popping up randomly. And so I think it's designed in that way because that's just what life is like. Speaks to most of the major things you'll encounter in your everyday life, these Proverbs. And then it ends with an epilogue, sayings of Agur, and then sayings of King Lemuel that was wisdom his mother taught him. And then chapter 31 is a description of a wife of noble character. And if you'll notice at the bottom, the foundation of it all, kind of the book ending of the end of the prologue, the end of that introduction section, is the foundation of all of this, which is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that if you want to be wise, it has to start with God. And I'm going to talk more about the fear of God next week, but let me just say, because that, that phrase in Hebrew can be misunderstood. Um, to the Jews, it referred to a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God of His place in the universe and of my place in the universe and how I fit in the order of things. That's what it is. It's just this healthy sense of reverence and awe that I know God is God and I know that I am not and I'm seeking to please Him with my life. Does that make sense? It's got to start there. Wisdom has to start there. So, you can keep that and use it um, as you read through it, if you like. Put that in your Bible. I really do challenge you to read through this this summer individually. I said last week you can do it as a family. If your kids are older, every night at supper, you just sit down and read the dailies reading and ask everybody to share which proverb most spoke to them. If you've got really little children, what you might do is you might just share with them every day, like one proverb that stood out to you or your spouse, and you just say, hey, here's something we read in the Bible, and you just share, share that with you. I'll leave that up to you.
Um, one quick thing, if you are doing the summer reading in the next two weeks, you're going to run into these ten sayings, speeches of a son to his father. If you're a female and you're like, this is just all to guys, and a lot of it's about talking to guys about girls, don't feel bad that you're left out. Proverbs are universal, and it's intended that you read it as if your mother were talking to you about guys that aren't the best for you, okay? So just read it that way. It is not anti-women, and I know this because folly is called a woman, lady wisdom, not folly is called a woman, sorry. <laughs> wow, that was foolish. Okay. Lady wisdom is called a lady. We end with uh, Lemuel, who was taught by his mother, and we end with a, a woman of noble character. So it's, it's don't, don't take it wrong, okay? Um, when we come to Proverbs, the main content of it is wisdom. Um, that's what you're walking in, this realm of wisdom. Wisdom is not about IQ. It's not about intelligence. James 3.17 says this, The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The way the Bible defines wisdom, it refers, the emphasis on practical behavior. Biblical wisdom is right understanding, understanding rightly applied to life. Rightly applied to life. The, the word for wisdom in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is... Uh, Chakam. See that underline the H? That means you've got to go like, got to be careful. If you have a cold, don't do this, all right? For the sake of the person in front of you. Can you say chakam? Chakam. That's the root Hebrew word. The noun for it is chokmah. Can you say that? Chokmah. Okay. And I expect you to memorize that. That's the first thing I expect you to memorize from this. Um, it's the word translated wisdom, but I want to show you something really interesting. In Exodus 31, 2 to 3, it says... Huh, 3, 3, 31, 2 to 3 with me. See, I have chosen uh, Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. See the word skill is bold, in bold? It's that word, chokmah. It's the word chokmah. It, 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 it means to be skilled or skillful. The Bible uses this word in the Old Testament. It speaks of Chokmah, skilled weavers in Exodus 35:26, of skilled administrators in 1 Kings 3:28, of chokmah, skilled seamen in Psalm 107:27, of skilled goldsmiths in Jeremiah 10:9. So the word is used of anybody who is skillful at a trade or at a craft, and frequently translated wisdom. So therefore, wisdom is skillful living. It is skillful living show you something I find fascinating about Proverbs. In 3.19 it says this, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding He set the, seventh, the heavens in place. And what we're told is that when God created everything, He literally wove wisdom into the fabric of the universe. So there are not just physical laws in the universe by which everything operates. There are spiritual laws in the universe that govern everything in the moral and spiritual realm. And it's a no-brainer for me to tell you, you don't want to live against the physical laws of the universe. You want to live with them. If you visit the Grand Canyon, uh, life goes much smoother, trust me, if you will take seriously and respect the law of gravity, right? You, if you go against the law of gravity there, you're doing that to your own peril. Your, your own peril. And it's the same with wisdom. 
To live life against the grain and the moral design of the universe is to court disaster and to place oneself on the road to eventual ruin. But on the other hand, to live with the grain of the way God designed the universe, His moral design, that is to live wisely and it's to live well. I heard somebody once say, you don't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity breaks you. And I think that would be true of this. You don't break the moral laws of the universe. They, if you go against them, they'll break you. You want to see something even more cool? For those that are nerdy, all the nerds here. This is for the nerds. Okay. If you're not a nerd, you can kind of… Here's what the verse just before that. I want to read this. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Do you see what I've got in blue? Tree of life. Where in the Bible do you see a tree of life? You only see it in two places in the Bible. You know where? You see it in Genesis at the beginning. And you see it, yeah, and you see it in Revelation. So we've been doing the drama of God, the story of God. The tree of life is at the beginning when God created everything as He designed it. When He created for good, the tree of life was there, when everything was full of shalom. And so what this is saying is by putting the tree of life, and by the way, other than Genesis and the end of Revelation, the only place the tree of life is mentioned in the Bible is in Proverbs. And it's trying to communicate the idea that the Proverbs contain the wisdom of God that He wove into the fabric of the universe, the way things were intended to operate well at the, when He first created things, that creational design. So I think that's pretty cool. You know, everybody's searching for the good life. Everybody. Sometimes you'll see people living a really crazed life and destructive and you're like, what is up with that? But the truth is, is everybody is seeking happiness in the way they have learned from family or something, some way they've tried to figure out what they think is, leads to happiness. It's the driving force behind everything that most people do. It's the search for the good life. And I want to tell you, our culture is telling us a totally different narrative than God's story about what the good life is. It's what Charles Taylor calls expressive individualism. I'm going to talk more about this in the fall and in the spring, but it's this idea in our culture that the self is the center of everything, the personal fulfillment is only found here, and there's this drive. Um, we're told to look into our heart and our feelings, our deepest dreams, our most authentic desires, find what's really true of us, and then to fulfill it and live into it, to be true to ourselves, being free from any kind of authority or anything that tries to impose on us any limitations on what we are, how we've identified ourselves, defined ourselves, to have no outside structure or authority stopping that, whether it be family, society, God, anything. The greatest good in our culture right now is to totally live this fulfillment of whatever you are inside, whatever identity you've decided from your dreams and desires, to totally live into it with nothing stopping you. That's what the modern world tells us is the greatest good. And the greatest evil is to let anybody tell you no or to say, maybe that's not the right way to live. That's the greatest evil right now.
And I want to tell you, that's the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. That not God defining good by wisdom and setting parameters, that if you live into His definition, that that's where flourishing and the good life comes. He came and said, no, God's design is not good. You choose the good, and they chose the good. But we know from the story of God what happened. As soon as they did that, what was created for good became broken by sin. Remember the story? I think of a fish. If we take our modern paradigm that just whatever desire you have, just live into it. Fish are created to live within parameters. Do you know that? Within limitations. Do you know what the limitation fish are created to live in? It's called water, okay? And if a fish wants to try dry and he wants to get out and live in dry and try to walk around like any animal and he gets out of the thing he was created to live inside of, what happens to the fish? Is it for his good or flourishing? No, it's destructive. And so the Bible would say we are created in God's wisdom. He has this design for life and when we live within that limitation, only there are we truly free. A free is totally free. A fish is totally free in the limitations of water. Is that right? Totally free. But you take him outside of what he was created for. Does he become free when he's on land flopping around? Totally lost his freedom. So it's the idea that in the Bible that living into the wisdom of God is what is the flourishing life. And I love these scripture. Here's what the Bible says. The Lord is good. He delights in the well-being of his servants. I love that. He delights in the well-being of his servants. This is what God says in Jeremiah. I take pleasure in doing good things for them. Psalm 19, your commands give me pleasure. They give me good advice. You are good. What you do is good. Teach me your wisdom. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, to my wisdom, your peace would have been like a raging river. A lot is at stake in Proverbs. A lot. The good life is at stake. If you will study Proverbs, if you'll read through it this summer, if you'll meditate it, if you'll allow it to form your understanding, your thinking, if you'll put some of them to memory, if you'll allow them to guide the way you live, you will truly know what it is to live the good life a life of lasting joy and genuine prosperity. Many years ago on the way to Wichita, this is a long time ago, there was a billboard up that El Dorado had put up to attract people to come move there. Anybody from El Dorado? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, okay. Uh, never mind about El Dorado. So anyways, <laughs> it, it, it had this picture from this painting from Norman Walkwell, and it said the fine art of living well. That's what the Proverbs are. The Proverbs are the fine art of living well. I love that. Can I give you one proverb to end today? One proverb. It's found in chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Food eaten in secret is delicious. I think this phrase offers a profound insight into the nature of sin and folly that sin and folly love secrecy. They thrive 
in the darkness. They stalk around in the shadows. They, they perpetrate their deeds behind locked doors. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, sin wants to have a man by himself. John 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Now look, oh, and the recovery movement. Um, yeah, I want to go back to this if you don't mind. Look at the last part about secret things. It says the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. There's only death in secrets. You know that? In secret sins. That's why in the recovery movement they say you're only as sick as your secrets. I'm convinced that secrecy is one of the most primary, number one maybe, enemy of the spiritual life. It's the death knell of your spiritual life, of your soul. And as we learn in Proverbs, it'll be the death of your real life because it's about real life. Nothing will deaden your soul, negatively impact your life like a sin that is eaten in secret. You think you're enjoying it in isolation, but the reality is, is it will eventually seep into your relationships, into your family, into your work. It'll impact everything. That's why Numbers 32.23 says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. How many of you have, had, have found this to be real in your life? Like when I was a kid, I hated hot dogs, hated hot dogs. My mom would make hot dogs like all summer for lunch, and I hated hot dogs. I loved the bun, I loved the ketchup, hated the hot dog. And she'd always make me finish eating before I could get up. And, but she'd always, if I waited long enough, I'd learn she'd go start doing busy work. And so I'd take the hot dogs, and I'd launch them, like throw them out the back, and I'd throw them back by the alley. And one particular day, I'd launched a hot dog back there, and then we were going to mow. And my mom decided to mow back by the alley. She never did that. We always did that, but she decided to do that. And so she was mowing. I'm like, I hope she doesn't find that hot dog. And sure enough, five minutes later, she came in, guess what, with a hot dog covered with grass and rocks. And then she put it on my plate and sat down, and she watched me while I ate my hot dogs, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> that was just my mom. <laughs> you may be sure that your sin will find you out. But here's the most important to me. That your, your sin will keep, your, a secret will keep you enslaved to your sin. Somebody said this saying a couple of years ago, and it's so powerfully, it has stuck with me. The power of the sin is in the secret. The power, whatever you're struggling with, you know what the power, the power of it is if you've kept it a secret, that's the power. That's why Francois de Sales says the first condition which the evil one makes with a soul when he wants to entrap it is silence. All right. I want my worship guys to come up. Come on up. So the corrective. Proverbs is good enough not only to tell us that secret sins will eat you alive, they'll kill you, they'll destroy you, but they're all, Proverbs is good enough to give us a corrective, and it's found in chapter 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever, sorry, I got a big mess up here on that chair. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's why James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. John 3.21 says, Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. So if you're here this morning and you are living 
with a sin that is secret, nobody knows it, I want to challenge you today that this is the day to bring that thing out in the open to somebody. This is the day to make that decision because it'll eat your lunch. And you will not live the good life with secrets. You won't live the fulfilled life. You won't live a life lived well. We want to end with some worship. Do you see God's goodness in this? And Him telling us the wisdom woven in the fabric of the universe, revealing this to us? Do you see how when we live with open lives and we don't have secrets we have to hide from people, that that's when our lives can really flourish? It's because He designed it that way. Because God is good and He longs for us to live the good life to live into His creational design, to live according to wisdom. He wants us so badly as His children, just like for my children, what I long for. He longs for us to live, to learn the fine art of living well. So, we want to celebrate the good God who put this book in the Bible for us. So, can we stand and finish with some worship? He gave us everything on the cross, right? Out of love for us to bring us to himself so we could flourish and have the good and true life. And, you know, we all come this week. There are things in our lives that we just know are not living into the reality, the wisdom that he built into things. Some things in our life really aren't going well. We just wanted to give a chance. If you feel led... To respond to that. We have up here three crosses, some pins, sticky notes. If there's something just the way you're living, you just know it's not into the way God designed things. I just want to invite you, if you feel led, to come up, just write a word or something, stick it on that cross and offer it as a prayer. For His help for you to, to give that thing up, to lay it to Him. And I'm sure there are people here today who have secrets, probably all of us, something that um, only you know, but God knows, and the power of that sin is in that secret, and the enemy of the soul knows that, and he wants to keep it that way. He wants you to hide it from your spouse, your children, your friends, your spiritual mentor. And with each passing day, you can feel you're becoming more deeply enslaved in its grip. You feel the ruin and the death that comes with that in your life. And though it's unseen maybe to people, it's starting maybe to spill over into other areas of your life. And it's time to bring it into light, not come up here and tell us. But if you've got a secret sin, I want to challenge you to come up and to write that on here. And we're not going to be looking, I promise. Write it on the paper, but I also want you, if you have a secret, to write the name of the Jonathan in your life, the person that you're going to go to this week, and you're going to offer that to and share so that they can come alongside you and help you to overcome that. And if we are the Jonathans here and somebody comes to us this week, we will respond the way God would respond, which is with love and with grace and unconditional love and acceptance, right? Not shock, because we all struggle with things. 
but like, I've got my sins too. Let's walk together in this. So while we start the song, if you feel led, come on up. Not trying to manipulate you or anything. If you don't feel led, that's fine. But if you, if that would help you, then we just want to invite you to do that while we sing this song. Yeah, these are going to be up here. These are going to be up here if you want to come up later and do this if, if it's meaningful to you. Can we end it with prayer? Lord, like we sang, we want you to change us like only you can. We want you to help us to learn to live into your wisdom, the ways you've designed the universe. And that only comes through Jesus, the one who is full of wisdom. So we come with our heart and we offer it into your hands and we pray, would you please make us more like Jesus? We just long to become more like Jesus. And if more of you means less of me, take everything because you're all we need. Make us a community of people who live in chokmah, who the way we live flows, goes with the grain of the universe, how you've designed it, and that people would see that this community of people, that this community who follow Jesus are people who know how to live well and skillfully, and that there's something about this family of people that, that we know the fine art of living well. We want to live into that. So we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. If you're interested in the Bible reading, don't forget to grab one of these uh, at back on your way out, and you're just a week behind, it's okay, eight, about eight verses a day. So let's go and be the church. <laughs>